Historic moments in the nation's capital as Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson is confirmed by the U.S. Senate. We'll talk with Congressman Andre Carson and with Senator Todd Young, who voted against her confirmation. Plus, new COVID concerns in the nation's capital after the House Speaker tests positive. And early voting underway in Indiana as we talk with another candidate in a hotly contested congressional primary. It's all ahead now on this week's edition of In Focus. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dan Spieler. Historic moments and just a lot happening overall in the nation's capital this week. Of course, the president and the administration still dealing with the war in Ukraine, placing new sanctions on Russia amidst new accusations of war crimes. There are also new concerns about COVID in the nation's capital, both in the administration and in Congress, starting with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi seen here near the president this past week. Other members of Congress and the cabinet testing positive as well, while numbers continue to remain low here in Indiana. All this along with the historic moments this week in the Senate. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson confirmed by the U.S. Senate. She'll now be the first black woman to serve on the nation's high court later this year. We're going to hear from Congressman Andre Carson and Senator Todd Young coming up. Both of Indiana's senators voted against Judge Jackson's confirmation. She joined the president for some remarks Friday at the White House. We have come a long way toward perfecting our union. In my family, it took just one generation to go from segregation to the Supreme Court of the United States. A lot of reaction coming, up, coming this week. In a statement, Senator Mike Braun said, I met with Judge Jackson to keep my promise to treat this nominee with respect, and we had a good conversation. He said he previously voted against her due to what he called her activist judicial approach and said based on her record on the federal bench, he'd be voting against her nomination. Now this week we also heard from Justice Amy Coney Barrett, an Indiana native, who said really judges don't make policy from the bench in her view. No judge is deciding a case in order to impose a policy result. They're trying to make their best effort to determine what the law requires, what the Constitution requires, what statutes require, and so I guess I would say that it's perfectly fair game to say that you dislike the results of a case. It's also perfectly fair game to say that the court got it wrong. But I think if you're going to make the latter claim that the court got it wrong, you have to engage with the court's reasoning first. Interesting remarks with a lot of news uh, around the Supreme Court these days. When the final vote on Judge Jackson was tallied, there were three Republicans who joined all 50 Democrats in voting to confirm Judge Jackson, you see them there. Again, both of Indiana's senators, Mike Braun and Todd Young, voting against her confirmation. Our Kristen Eskow spoke with Senator Young and with Congressman Andre Carson about this historic confirmation process. And this nomination is confirmed. Ahead of the confirmation vote, Congressman Andre Carson encouraged senators to vote yes for Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. She is the most qualified nominee we've had in decades, and her perspective and really her experience are needed on the court. Carson accused many Republicans of playing politics for opposing her nomination. All but three voted against, including Indiana Senators Mike Braun and Todd Young. Both have raised concerns of judicial activism or legislating from the bench. I spoke with Senator Young earlier this week. You said in your statement that she doesn't adhere to originalism in your view. What did you find about her record to be specifically so problematic? Well, listen, if you set aside uh, her, her first rate personality, her incredible uh, professional history and uh, her, her clear uh, 
uh, uh, first-rate intellect. Um, all of those things are very important, but you also need to interpret the Constitution in a way that is coherent and in a way that uh, I believe is consistent with the law. Uh, I think that a, a judge that uh, approaches the Constitution from an, an originalist standard makes sense. And originalism is, is nothing other than uh, ensuring that the various words in the Constitution, the phrases in the Constitution, uh, as, as applied now are consistent with what they meant uh, at the time of passage. If we take any other approach, uh, one is basically reading into the Constitution one's own values. Experts say it's impossible to predict exactly how a justice will rule in any particular case. Still, Steve Sanders of the IU Mauer School of Law says based on her testimony, he expects she'll be similar to retiring Justice Stephen Breyer. I would describe Justice Breyer as a sort of centrist liberal. Uh, and and I, I think that's the way Judge Jackson will be as well. Sanders says the justice's background often plays a role as well in subtle ways that helps bring understanding. I don't think she will be defined by her identity. I think she needs to be understood in a larger context as somebody who has been a trial judge, as someone who has an uncle who has served time in prison. You know, she's had detractors. I'd say that their arguments are weak. That can be seen by the line of questioning she's received from some of my Republican Senate colleagues. They know she's qualified. They know she's compelling. They know most Americans support her. So, you know, they're trying to bring her down through baseless attacks. It won't work. Uh, people see through the smears, and instead they see the bright, accomplished, hardworking person she is. Me, you know what your response is to uh, GOP lawmakers who have raised concerns about her nomination and plan to oppose uh, her confirmation. Well, this is political pageantry. Uh, her qualifications are clear. We've never had a public defender serve on the U.S. Supreme Court. I think uh, uh, an attempt to minimize her and trivialize her, um, I think it speaks to our political environment and the fact that uh, people will do whatever they can to not legislate and do what's right by taxpayers and constituents, but lead by hashtags and headlines. That's not leadership. All right, Kristen joins me now. Congressman Carson there with some with some rather pointed words after what was a, a pretty heated process at times. And it certainly was, Dan. The Judiciary Committee, now neither of Indiana senators serve on that committee. They both met with Judge Jackson, but in the end, like most Republicans, voted against her confirmation. Now, you also spoke with Senator Young this week about the situation in, in Ukraine as well. Yeah, that's right. I asked him about the push for more sanctions against Russia amidst troubling reports of potential war crimes in Ukraine. Would more sanctions make a difference? Is that the right approach, or does the U.S. need to take a different path? Listen, I think sanctions are important. Uh, they, they help uh, ensure that uh, Vladimir Putin's not able to fuel and fund the, the continued resourcing of his military uh, and this war uh, against Ukraine uh, moving forward. But with that said, I think the most important thing uh, we need to continue to emphasize is that the Ukrainian people don't have the weapons that are required to make sure that they can actually win this war. We don't want them to, to lose slowly. We want them to win. And it's amazing what they've been able to accomplish with some fairly rudimentary weapons. If we could send them more sophisticated, long-range uh, anti-air defense weapons, 
and some aircraft uh, working with our partners and allies, they can actually win this battle. And that needs to be our point of emphasis. And now I also spoke with Senator Young about his legislation dealing with making America more competitive with China. And you'll see more of that later in the yeah. program. All right. Meantime, at the State House as well, lawmakers will be back next month to potentially override the governor's veto on the transgender sports bill. That's right. The General Assembly will be back in the State House in late May when they're likely to override that veto. And I asked the governor this week about what that veto could mean and what the what could happen next. What do you say to lawmakers who want to override that veto on the trans bill? Well, as I looked at the bill, um, it was addressing something that wasn't a problem, uh, to my knowledge. And I reviewed all the testimony. We'll see uh, what happens. I understand uh, the intent of, of the House. It's been expressed and, and potentially the Senate. But uh, we'll, we'll take each day as it comes. Now, the governor also talked about the implementation of the new permitless carry law that goes into effect July 1st, and he acknowledged there needs to be what he called an education campaign around how the law works and says Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter has been reaching out to other states where this type of law has already been in effect. All right, a lot going on at the state level, at the national level, internationally this week. You know, you've got it all covered for us. Kristen Escal, thank you so much. Meantime, here in Indiana, early voting now underway ahead of the May 3rd primary. Turnout isn't expected to be incredibly strong, at least in the primary itself. The Senate primaries are uncontested, but there are a number of congressional primaries across the state. And today we continue to follow that closely watched primary in the 9th Congressional District to replace Trey Hollingsworth, former state Senator Aaron Houchin's campaign this week, touting an endorsement from Indiana Right to Life and an A-plus rating from the NRA. Meantime, one of Houchin's opponents, Stu Barnes Israel, was endorsed this week by former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He's also been endorsed by Senator Tom Cotton, a fellow veteran. And this week, another veteran in this race, Dan Highwig, spoke with us about this crowded primary field, which includes former Congressman Mike Sodrell. I voted for Mike Sodrell when I was a kid in Seymour, Indiana. So it was kind of cool to be like, you're Mike Sodrell, and talk to him for a while. And, and you know, it's, it is great to be a part of uh, just Indiana as a Hoosier to come back from years of service and see that we're still doing really good and we're strong, especially after the COVID pandemic, that we're right. strong Americans. Now you're running against former Congressman Sodrell in the same yeah, primary. It. Yeah, it's, it's great. You think, though, it's time voters should choose someone new in this district? In, in the district, there is a demand for leadership. I've seen the other candidates talk about it and what needs to be done, and there's a fight coming for us to reclaim our American heritage and, and be strong again. Southern Indiana Hoosiers are strong, and they're trying to find that leader. Uh, you know, Mike Sodrell has great experience. Uh, whoever's going to go into office needs to make sure that they're going to be there for the long run and try and continue to fight and bring back to Indiana what we need to what survive. Do you, what do you mean specifically when you say reclaim our American heritage? So reclaiming our American heritage is uh, is very American first focused, where we're looking at uh, putting money back into our pockets, uh, reclaiming our education, uh, you know, parts of what the Hoosier spirit really is about. Okay, more of those interviews with the candidates on our website. Coming up next on this week's edition of In Focus, we'll talk with our panel about the impact of this week's confirmation vote in Washington. Stick around, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's bring in our panel right now with us today on Zoom. Important Bill's Adam Wren and UND political science professor Dr. Laura Wilson. And here in studio, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy and former Indiana Democratic Party chairman 
Robin Winston. Robin, I'll start with you here and the significance uh, of this week's historic confirmation vote in the U.S. Senate. It's just overwhelming, Dan. I mean, you know, you've got an eminently qualified person serving on the court now uh, that I think will be a role model to lots of not just young women, but women and everybody that aspires to be something uh, in the legal profession. I think a lot of Katanjis will be born in the future. I think her name be a popular baby name. Maybe a popular year. baby yeah. name. But here's what's more important. You're getting an Emily qualified young 51-year-old justice on the Supreme Court. She'll be there for quite some time, and we'll see her mark pretty quickly because there's big cases coming up. There, there certainly are. Mike, both of Indiana's Republican senators met with Judge Jackson, but ultimately voted no. There were three Republican senators who did vote for her confirmation. And you don't always see that in, the, in this day and age. No, no, you're right. And I was proud of some of my Republican friends and disappointed in others. I was proud of Todd Young, the way he handled it. He kept it on the issues, not personal, which he has a right to do. Um, and then we had uh, the, the senator from uh, the Cotton uh, who said that she would, def you know, she would, he was sure that she would defend the Nazis. What a stupid, stupid comment. It destroyed all of his, uh, all of his credibility. So we had good actors and bad actors in the process. It's certainly an ugly uh, confirmation fight at times. Uh, let's turn to, to Laura next. Uh, what do you make of, of how this process played out uh, in the nation's capital? Well, it was ugly, just as you said, uh, at certain moments. But to see that overall vote, I, I echo what Robin said. I think this is a really important moment for little girls, especially little girls of color across our country. And when you think of the three Republican defectors, when you look at Romney, Murkowski, and Collins, I don't think this will have a long-term impact. I don't think their elections are going to be up for question or, or overly contested or competitive. Uh, but to be able to be on that side of history for them was obviously very important. Republicans didn't have to vote in favor of her. It would have likely gone in her confirmation favor anyway, but obviously an important moment, certainly. And Adam, of course, all of this coming at an interesting time in the court, as Robin mentioned, with a lot of key cases that, that could be decided even before Judge Jackson is seated on the bench. Yeah, you know, we could see a special session uh, of the Indiana General Assembly later this summer if Roe versus Wade is overturned. And just looking at the calculus of the court uh, with someone like uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett from South Bend on there, it does seem like like the Supreme Court could do that. And so, uh, you know, what happens in Indiana in the aftermath of that could be fascinating to watch. It is, of course, an election year, early voting already underway here in the state of Indiana. As we mentioned earlier, uh, Robin, as, as people start to hit the polls, midterm election year, Democrats in power, how difficult is the political landscape this year for your party with those slim majorities in, in the House and the Senate? Well, we certainly don't have any room for error. I mean, you know, um, even, even with the members we have, we don't always have pure Democrat all the way up and down the line. But there are some states, Illinois, Nevada, some other states that drew their lines that would be beneficial to our party. I think that uh, we had to wait and see what happened. Not all, not all the time. Bill Clinton was in trouble in 98 and we were able to pick up seats. So who knows what's going to happen. We do have new uh, congressional districts in place. As you mentioned, there's a newly redrawn 9th congressional district here in Indiana. We've been focusing on that primary nine candidates in that race. Mike, who has the edge, do you think, in that very crowded field? Well, certainly, I think the Democrats are going to hold it. I mean, when the Republicans could have taken it away, and they made sure we kept two Democratic districts. The Republicans could not get too greedy, and I'm glad they didn't try. Um, so in the Democrats, you'll have a Mervan, I assume, 
And the Republican side, Blair Milo is probably the favorite, but I think as good as she's been for the Holcomb administration, she loses up there just that, based on numbers. That first district is being closely watched. The ninth district as well we've been following. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think about that race? Who has the edge there? Oh, I think Houchins does, yeah. um, no, clearly. I think um, uh, uh, Sadra has seen his day. Um, he, he looks weaker and older than I ever remember him, frankly. Um, and I think the two veterans will cancel each other out. Um, on the Democratic side, you have a socialist running. I mean, he cancels himself out by definition. And I think Houchins takes it. She's worked hard. I think she deserves it. Adam, what are you hearing about that race in the 9th District? And, and also the current incumbent, Trey Hollingsworth, not running for re-election. Some think he may want to run for governor. Yeah, I think Mike's right. I think Houchin is the person to beat in that primary, but with that many candidates, you never know what could happen. Fascinating that Mike Pompeo is getting involved in a ninth uh, congressional district seat here in Indiana. He'll be in Indiana later this week for a fundraiser uh, with, with Jim Banks uh, from the third district. And, you know, I think Hollingsworth really is looking at a gubernatorial bid. Uh, there, there are some rumors that he could form a PAC uh, to help candidates down ballot. So that's what I'm watching uh, over the coming weeks. Democrats were critical of him in a press release uh, this week for his vote uh, against a NATO resolution suggesting he should run for governor elsewhere. Uh, Laura, w what are you watching for here as we approach the, the midterms this coming year? Well, one certainly important question will be the role of the Biden administration in congressional midterms, because, of course, the president's not on the ballot, but oftentimes, as we've discussed before, uh, he will be influential in whether or not people are drawn out and which party benefits. Usually it's the party that's not in power. And there was a great Pew Research survey that came out in just a few weeks ago from early March that said Republicans feel more motivated by the presence of Joe Biden. So for Democrats, this is really important to hang on to those seats. And for Republicans, when you're the out party at the national level, certainly can help drive voter turnout, especially in those primary elections. How important are some of the surrogates coming here, right? We've got Secretary Buttigieg coming here uh, next week to Indiana, probably some sort of infrastructure event. But you've also got, as Adam mentioned, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo coming here for Jim Banks. He's endorsing a candidate in the 9th District, Stu Barnes Israel. Mike Pence is possibly coming around for a couple of uh, campaign events. How important are these big names coming here to Indiana in some of these races? Let's compare and contrast. Pete Buttigieg is coming to Tell City to talk about issues that resonate on infrastructure. The other guys are coming to uh, do their, I guess, auditions for 24 for president in line of support. So we're putting policy ahead of politics. I hope the Hoosiers recognize that. You don't think Pete Buttigieg is auditioning for a future campaign for president I maybe one Pete day Buttigieg as well? Pete Buttigieg is Secretary <laughs> of Transportation. Uh, Mike Pence, Mike that, Pompeo, both potential candidates that's in 2024. That's the best I've la laugh I've had in this show in weeks. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we may see, obviously, Pence and Pompeo oh, potentially yeah, on the yeah. ballot and this and, next election. Yeah. And as I said, Pence is going to be doing a fundraiser for uh, banks coming up soon, which I think has implications for uh, banks' future because he's obviously not afraid of uh, engaging the displeasure right. of Trump anymore. Um, and I think that says something about not only banks, but the strength of, of Pence. All right. Thank you. Thank you to our panel. Coming up next, more from Senator Young and Congressman Carson on the legislation aimed at keeping America competitive when it comes to technology and the competition with China. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. All right. As promised, now more of Kristen Eskow's interview with Senator Todd Young. He's been part of a bipartisan bill aimed at making America more competitive with China. She spoke with him and Congressman Andre Carson about the bill and its potential implications.
Lawmakers on Capitol Hill moving forward with legislation that aims to make America a leader in new technology. Senator Todd Young has helped lead the bipartisan effort. We can't be relying on other countries for uh, critical uh, components uh, related to uh, our next generation technologies. Young points out the legislation directs billions of dollars toward research in areas like artificial intelligence and quantum computing. He says the goal is to help make the U.S. more competitive against countries like China. The wars of the future will be won or lost, uh, possibly because of, of these sorts of technologies. The legislation would also direct more than $50 billion to American manufacturing of semiconductor chips. Congressman Andre Carson voted in favor of the bill in the House. It's a strong package to fix our uh, supply chains and, and start making more critical products here in America. Although the legislation has bipartisan backing, many Republicans haven't supported it, including most members of Indiana's congressional delegation. Meanwhile, experts say they believe the legislation could have a big impact on Indiana and the U.S., both in terms of global competition and the economy. These things don't happen quickly, uh, but uh, uh, these elements can be put in place so that in the future uh, we won't have our auto manufacturers closing their plants for, for two weeks because of, of a lack of chips. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kristen Escow. All right, stick around. We're back with this week's winners and losers next. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Adam, I'll start with you. One winner, uh, U.S. Senator Todd Young for being appointed to a uh, conferee to the uh, China Competitiveness Bill, probably the most important piece of innovation legislation since the Biden Act of 1980. Laura? Symbolic representation is my winner this week and American women. With the confirmation of Katanji Brown-Jackson, you now have her joining Amy Coney Barrett, Elena Kagan, and Soda Sotomayor. That's a record four women on the U.S. Supreme Court. Mike? Well, I'd have to say we have two winners this week. The first would be Jim Banks for showing that he's not afraid to have Mike Pence head up a fundraiser. And as of a couple days ago, at least, the Cubs have the best record in Major League Baseball. Well, there you go. Good start, on. right? Robin? Uh, three U.S. senators that are Republican that voted for Judge uh, Brown Jackson to be on the Supreme Court. I mean, outstanding. They put partisanship aside and, and made the best decision possible. All right, thank you all for joining us this week. We'll see you again next week on In Focus.